Welcome to the Valley College Connection, where John Kawai and Scott Wigan, two Valley professors, engage in a conversation about success with educators and students. Each week, they'll sit down with a different guest to find out ways each of us have had to plan, persevere, and overcome to where we are now. The show will also highlight resources and services that are working to make a difference at Valley College. We are joined today by Howard Levine, Professor of Accounting at Los Angeles Valley College. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, Howard. It's my pleasure. We wanted to start off if you could share with us your background, uh, the journey that led you here to Valley College and take it as far back as you'd like to go. Sure, Scott. So um, I was born in Chicago and we moved here when I was three. And the interesting story in that is my father was an insurance agent and he was sitting in his car in March in the snow saying there's got to be more to life than this. And literally that September we were in Los Angeles. Wow. We first moved on Riverside and Hazeltine um, across from what is now the Fashion Square. When I was a little kid, that was just a parking lot. And what city is that? In Van Nuys. So yeah, that's just up the, up yeah, the road here. Van Nuys now. might be Sherman Oaks. Yeah, yeah. Right, right around the corner. I went to Woodman Avenue Elementary School, which was destroyed to make the mall. Wow. Now, what, what brought the family to that specific location? Why, why the San Fernando Valley was there? Uh, my grandparents were here. Ah, okay. And um, it was at, the, at that time, it was booming. So that was the time when people would come here. Okay. So they came there, they moved there. Um, when I, as I said, when I was three, um, I went to various elementary schools. I went to Chandler, I went to Hazeltine and ended up at Irwin Street School in third grade. Irwin Street School is at Fulton and Victory about a mile from here. Wow, okay. And I grew up there my, pretty much my entire life since three years old. What was your, at that point as you were growing up, what was your uh, familiarity with, with Los Angeles Valley College? I mean, in terms of it, you know, being a presence in the community or, or what, what, what'd you know about it? Absolutely. We, we played football here. Um, my, my uh, friends and I would ride our bikes literally over here. We would play football and play tennis here. Wow. Now, and I knew it was a college. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, in, we used the facilities essentially. So anyway, so, so I went to Irwin Street Elementary School, Madison Middle School, which is again, uh, Ethel and between Van and Coldwater, about a mile and a half from here and end up going to Grand High School across the street. Okay. Okay, so at that point, I was um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And were you a good student in elementary school and high school? The answer is no and yes. Okay, the first two semesters in both middle school and high school, I was horrible. But then I figured it out, and then it was all A's. Mm. But it, was, it took me a while to get adapted to the new environment. Right. So the answer is both no, I was not at the beginning. My mother, of course, thinks I was the best student ever, but all mothers think that. They have to, right? Duh, as part of being <laughs> a mother. But, but the, the, once I figured it out, then I would do very well. So what did you figure out? What, what had to change? Uh, a couple of things, actually. First of all was getting um, a teacher that inspired me. Hmm. Certainly in, in algebra, there was one of those. And secondly was a course that inspired me. So when I was at Grant, I took this class, which is the equivalent of what we have here of Business One. And um, Art Muller was the name of the teacher who coincidentally, when I started teaching here, was also a teacher. It's weird when you're teaching with one of your teachers. That's strange in and of itself. Yeah. And, and the Business One inspired me. I, then, I also took a Grant and a, a bookkeeping course, basic bookkeeping. And I seemed to have a knack for it. So I would um, do the work and then keep on going. And the teacher... Her name was Trudy Light. I'll never forget her. Um, recognized that in me and kept on giving me more and more work. 
Mm. So I essentially did like four semesters of work in two semesters. Oh, wow. So I just kept on going. And, and that, that was, she recognized that, and obviously I enjoyed doing it. So that was, that was an inspiration as well, was, was actually having good teachers. So you're, you're inspired at this point. You're, you're succeeding at Grant. And as you're starting to, to get closer towards graduating, are you thinking college? Are you starting to make plans for that? Where, where were you at with that decision? Oh, there was, in my family, you're going to college. No choice, that huh? Was, that, was, that was a given. Oh, that was no choice. Um, I was going actually to considering an insurance major because my father was an insurance agent. And he happened to know who was then the dean of the School of Business at CSUN. Okay. And the guy actually was the president of CSUN, then he, then he stopped being the president, was the dean. So we went and sat with him in his office. To this day, I can remember sitting with his office. And I was trying to decide between going to CSUN and San Diego State. And the guy looked at me and said, probably the best, one of the best advice I've ever gotten. He said, go away to school. He mm-hmm. said, you're going to get a good education wherever you go. But if you go away to school, then you're going to learn more about the world right. and not just the books. So that was my decision. I went to San Diego State as an insurance major, but immediately changed to accounting. Hmm. So they had an insurance major back then? Yeah. Hard to believe, isn't it? So these, these majors then were much more applied than what they are now? I think they're about the same. The, the insurance might have just died off. Mm-hmm. They still have accounting and finance and marketing and management. But I think insurance may on, on the other hand, they may still have it for all I know. And it's not being an actualist, it's actually selling insurance or understanding insurance? The insurance industry is not just, as you math guys think, actuary. Mm-hmm. It's also selling. It's also um, uh, marketing it. There's a lot of aspects. Insurance, uh, uh, management, there are really a lot of aspects. And, and then it's not just insurance. There's casualty, health insurance, um, property, uh, all kinds. Life and disability. Yeah. So then what happened at San Diego State? San Diego State was a blast. When, when I was there, it was the party school of the country. Oh, it has that reputation. I mean, today, even today still. Today is so. not anything near. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Those young kids are lame, huh? I'm going to tell you. No, without going into details, it yeah. was remarkable. Right. I mean, absolutely, every night was just amazing. But you had to figure out what you wanted to do. Yeah. So what I would do, I would go to the library every night, probably be back by 9 hang out in the dorm till 12 or 1 or whatever time, get up the next morning and do it again. In other words, if you make time to study, mm-hmm. you study. Right. If you want to party, you can party. It's just what everybody does. Right. Okay? And, and you have to figure out what's best for you. So, so I spent my four years there. The first year in the dorm was wild. The second year in the dorm, I became what was called a student assistant, I believe, basically sitting at the desk. Okay. Okay. And watching the girls walk by. Okay. So okay. that was on campus work now. You're on working campus on campus. Work, okay. And you got paid a little bit. Right. Not right. so bad. Right. Um, the third year that I became an RA, which is a resident assistant, which means you're in charge of a couple of floors in the dorm. Yeah. And then the fourth year, then I moved to an apartment. So okay. I was in the dorm three years, honestly. Probably should only been there two years. That third year was a little bit burdensome. Mm-hmm. But many of the skills I got um, that I have today was because of that experience. I learned how to talk to people, how to deal with people, how to read people, right. how to deal with difficult people. And so many of the skills I used in my business and what I use in the class today are directly related to the time I spent uh, in the dorm. It's interesting, the advice that you got from the dean at CSUN, you know, the, once you go away to school, it's this opportunity for a whole other sort of type of social education 
you know, the, the, it's hard to put a price on that. Let me tell you, and, and I tell students, Dave, you have the opportunity. Now, most cannot afford to go away. Yeah. Fine. But if you have an opportunity, take it. Because right. you learn so much more than just sitting at home with your family. Right, right. So how did you then make the transition from insurance to accounting? I just told them. <laughs> I just said do it. Because I, I was, you at that point, and, and I think now as well, if you want to change your major within the department, it's not a problem. But what inspired you to make that change? Oh, this teacher, the Mrs. Light at Grant High School. Because I really liked the bookkeeping. And, and you should know that when I went there, similar to here, the classes were full, especially in accounting. They were just packed. Mm. So... Um, I'm not sure what the term is. Probably the same term. You, you crash a class. Right. In other words, you, the, the class is full, so you go in and try to get in. Mm -hmm. And I believe there were 80 students in a class that hold, held maybe 40. Wow. Wall-to-wall -wall students. Right. And I was um, not shy about staying there. So I sat there and sat there and sat there. And the first test, I got like 99 out of 100. And I went up to the, there was a TA, wasn't a professor went up to the TA and said, look, I got 99 out of 100, and she had to let me in. Right. Okay? And that was the way I went, made it through quite a few classes, was by showing that, you know, you, you're, you excel. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the, sec the secret of getting into classes here also, where I always tell students, don't ask in front of everyone else. Be the last student to, to ask a teacher, can I get in? Absolutely. And or then, the first one on, on the email, too. You, you send them an email as right, well. Right, right. And then the whole thing, too, is that, you don't have to take no. If they say no, just say, I just want to, I just want to hang out, take the class, do well in that first exam. And if you're the one who hangs out and does well, um, before the ad deadline, a lot of times they'll just let you in because kids will drop out. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, be persistent, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Could not agree more. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're at San Diego state, you're, you're working on campus, you're an RA in that third year. Um, fourth year, you move off campus, you have an apartment. Are you continuing to work on campus at that point? Were is there any other sort of work that you were involved with? Any other sort of extracurricular activities while you were a student? What else was, what else were you doing? Uh, were you fully involved and committed to studies? What else did it look like for you? I was very into making sure that I did well in all my classes. Having said that, you still have to have fun. I played softball, I played tennis, the, the usual stuff. But I was very committed to doing well in classes. I did work that third, uh, that fourth year, mm -hmm. as a senior. Um, I did some internships. Ah, okay. Uh, this, uh, the, the, two. I'll give you two quick stories about internships. One was a business needed somebody to do their accounting, so I did their books. As I look back, I don't know why they took me. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, <laughs> but I did their books. Okay. Okay, and they were happy with it. I also did an internship at a company called Digital Development Company. Okay, they made. Um, I'm going to say computer components, mostly hard drives. And I went in as a drafting room manual. I was going to write a drafting room manual. I got a D in drafting in middle school. <laughs> Why they hired me, I don't know. But I learned what engineers do, which is basically sit around and talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> and I took the drafting room manuals that they had. They gave me a bunch of other ones and kind of cut and paste and put together a manual. I didn't know what I was doing. It was every Friday I would go there. And they were so happy. Then the following semester, they had me write an engineering manual oh, wow. with the exact same qualifications, which were none. <laughs> I just kind of went, made it up as I went, but they were very happy. Right. So, so I did that. At the same time, I studied, and I studied very hard because I wanted to pass the CPA test. At the end of 
the semester, the senior year, you're able to take the CPA exam. So I wanted to make sure that I had the courses for that. And occasionally went to the beach. Let me, let me back up for just a second. How did you get the internships? Was it something that was, you, were you encouraged to do? Did you seek them out? Did someone tell you about, hey, this is a good idea for experience? Um, I believe that I saw a posting on campus. Okay. Something we've talked a lot about, I think, on this podcast, you know, or at least John, you and I have talked about sort of inside conversations about the importance of internships for students, and a lot of times folks don't recognize the value of that. You know, it's, it, I, I'm going to say internships are very difficult to get because it, with full employment, Right now, companies don't want interns, very mm. frankly. Mm. But getting experience right. in some way. And right. if it's unpaid, sometimes that's fine, too. But getting some kind of experience, I think, is, especially in the business world, critical. Yeah, I think it's a big advantage. If you can get a job pouring coffee just at a company that you're interested in and you just see what everyone's job is, it's invaluable in, in just sort of saving years off because you know what your target is now. And I always, I always tell my students, before you go for an internship, go for a job. Because I, I think uh, businesses value that more. Because for a job, you've got to earn your, your stay. Whereas for an internship, they know you're there for 10 weeks. And if you're laying, eh, you're here for 10 weeks. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. if you can get some kind of job. And then I was speaking to a student just before we came here about she's working at one level. I said, try to be an assistant manager. Okay, get the title. Well, I'm not sure. I said, no, try. Okay. What does a system manager do? Maybe it helps with scheduling. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll help with ordering. I don't know what that means, but see if that's what you like before you get into having to do it full time. Right. So, so clearly resume building is critical. Yeah. And I find that when you are a uh, student working, you get better mentorship. The, the, when you are a coworker, and um, you're a full-time coworker. People are sometimes cagey with what they tell you, but when you are a student part-time worker, you just find that the people there want to help you. They want to give you good life advice. The best advice I ever got in terms of managing people, how to choose a career, just what to look out for, always came as uh, a part-time worker out of college. And then once I got out of college, you know, good advice is hard to get. Yeah. Yeah, there's sort of an element of competition, too, that happens at, at the point where you're working side by side with colleagues and people might be vying for the, you know, the next sort of promotion that, yeah, people are going to be less well, likely to, exactly, to give you yeah. that sort of advice. But yeah. as a student, people want to mentor you, yeah. you know, want to tell you, like, here's the path, here's what you can do. I see so much potential in you, you know. So, you know, the only time I ever had a CEO sit with me and just randomly give me good advice was always as a student. The best advice I always got was as a student worker. That's a really good point, yeah. Do you, and and the, the question is, not should I do it, it's how do I do it. I wonder what the college could do as far as sort of, of you know, opportunities, programs, infrastructure. I mean, we have, we have existing programs. We have, you know, the, the service learning program that, that's coordinated. We have the, the work that Doug Marriott's area does. But I wonder sort of as we're sort of moving ahead and thinking in terms of guided pathways, this critical piece about, as you said, Howard, not, not if, but how. You know, how do we do that more systematically? I think part of it is it is that if it's too easy, it feels like a class, and they just don't put the investment in. I mean, we're right now for the LAVC Promise, you know, we're giving away classes for free, and it's not making the, the kids study anymore. And I think there's a sorting element that happens when you say, I need to get a job, I'm going to figure out how to do it, I'm going to ask teachers, I'm going to be persistent about it. And it's not the job itself that sort of makes you, it's the process of becoming that person who says, I will do it on this timeline. I think, I think one of the issues also is most 
students at Valley don't know what they want to do. Right. And if you say, you, I want to be in X, they may not know that. And to, to find an, intern an internship in something that I don't even know what I want to do is kind of hard. So, But the point is, work somewhere. Right. You're, both you guys' point is well taken. Anywhere. Right. Get experience. Okay, You may hate it. Good. Get that out of the way now. It's probably the biggest lessons I learned along the way was what I don't want to do. I kept, you know, yep. etching and eking closer and closer to finding what it was I, I did want to do, but it became very clear, you know, the the myriad of things that I definitely do not want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> All of us. Yeah. Yeah. So coming back to uh, senior year, you said that the, the, the real focus then was passing the CPA exam. Sure. Can and getting a job. A little bit about what, you know, what that is for, for folks who might not know or understand sort of the scope of, of what that entails Absolutely. and what that leads to. I'll tell you what it was then and what it is now. Now. Okay. What it what it was then was um, there were four parts. It was twenty hours of tests, Wednesday afternoon, all day Thursday, all day Friday. Okay. You're exhausted when you're done. It's terrible. Okay. And all you were allowed to bring was a pencil, no calculator, nothing. And it was a room. It was a gymnasium at University uh, USD. They had it at the convention center here too. Just imagine a huge room of tables with people sitting with pencils. It's pretty intimidating. Yeah. Okay. So I did all day Wednesday afternoon, um, all day Thursday, all day Friday. Came home and collapsed Friday night. Um, the pass rate was 2%. 2%. 2%. Oh, my God. And I passed it all the first time. Wow. I was not going to do it again. Okay. Wow. And was there only one test or was it a series of tests? No, no. If you pass, let's say, two parts, then you come back and take the other two parts. So there are four distinct parts, but you would come back. So, so it was very arduous. The CPA test today, bringing it forward, is done on computers. You go into a very secure testing room where you leave your wallet, your keys, your watch. They look at your glasses. In other words, really secure. You show your ID. I think you might even have to get fingerprinted in some of them. Um, and then you take the test, it's, but you only take one part at a time. And I think, I believe it, uh, right now it's one part every month. You can't take them four in a row like I did. Huh. Yeah, wow. one part every month, and the um, and then they're graded, they're computer graded, okay. and ours were all hand graded. Is the pass rate similar now? It's much higher. Okay. Okay. It's now, what kind of preparation did you do? I mean, the, the four years of schooling that led up to it, or was there an intensive sort of program to prepare for taking that? That's or? a really good question. So, so because I was so focused on it, um, the my last semester, I took uh, one of the classes is auditing that's required, mm -hmm. and I also took a class that had a little bit of review in it. And I spent the entire spring break in the library. Okay. Okay. And and the story in that is a good story. Is every morning I get there at nine and I leave at six or seven. And I remember it was Friday of that, and my parents were here. Everybody was gone. It was just me. And I remember it was Friday at ten o'clock. So I got there at nine. I looked out the window and said, "The heck with this." And I was on the beach by ten thirty. <laughs> like, enough was enough. <laughs> so yeah, you can overstudy. Right. Kind and, of and, and then right. yep, absolutely. And then the other thing which I try to suggest to students, but most don't listen, is don't study right before the test. Mm -hmm. If you don't know it the night before, you ain't going to know it. Right. So I stopped studying about three or four days before. Then the middle of the night, you have a thought like, oh my God, what about fill in the blank? And then you wake up and, and you do it. But if you by not studying before, it reduced the anxiety level significantly. And the other thing was during lunch, because there were breaks, all the other, my friends and the other people taking tests, We'd go around pss, 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 and talk about all the questions. I went to the park. Okay, mm. again, stay away. Don't don't stress yourself out. Right. Relax. Come back. Do your work. 
Right. Okay, well, I see too many students who are all stressed out before a test. Yeah. Um, well, I was coming here to happen to have an accounting test, and they're studying it. And I shook my head saying, if you don't know it 10 minutes before the test, you're not going to know it on the test. So what kind of salary bump do you get with a CPA versus just an accounting degree? At the beginning, not much. At the beginning, it's a few thousand dollars, I believe. I, I can't answer that today. But so anyway, so what happened was after I took the CPA exam or while I was um, in my senior year, you interview with accounting firms, okay? Very, not, very much the same as is now. Now they actually start in September and they, they hire for the following year. So you start very early. Oh, so they start a year early then? They're September for the following summer, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable how early they, they're. They're all like, it's kind of like the, the, um, uh, the presidential primaries. As soon as one gets in front of the other one, somebody else gets in front of them. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon they'll be five years early. I don't know. But anyway, so, so they, they start now, and they, they, they started to interview. I went to various interviews. Um, you get, I had to cut my hair. I had very long hair ah. down to my shoulders. <laughs> believe it or not, I have none. But the I was pretty... I remember looking in the mirror with my three-piece suit and my short hair and cheese. Jeez, you really have conformed. <laughs> but accounting's very conservative, so you sure. had to do... And to this day, you have to watch out you know, yeah. who you're interviewing for. Right. So I knew what the, what the, the market was. Um, we go in the little tiny room. You ask their questions. Um, some of the interviews were okay. One, one of them, I woke up my, I think, let's say the interview was at three, and I woke up at two o'clock saying, oh, plenty of time, but there was no power in my apartment. My roommate forgot to turn out to pay the electric bill. <laughs> so I ran, I took a shower, because I played softball before, I remember that. Took a shower, got there like three minutes to three. Did not get that job. <laughs> in other words, they don't all go well. Right. But the one I did get was with a firm called Arthur Anderson. It was between them and what was then Price Waterhouse, which were the two biggest firms at the time. And um, I just got along very well with the partner. I actually was sitting at a desk, and there were a bunch of brochures in front of the desk. This is instructive also. And I talked with my hands, and within the first two minutes, I knocked all the brochures <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> and I was leaning over, picking up the brochures. I looked at the guy, and I said, without even thinking, I said, don't mind me, I'm just a klutz. At that moment, I knew I had the job. In other words, we made the connection. Right. So Arthur Anderson, they recruited from San Diego State back then? All the big firms recruited from San Diego State. Okay. San Diego State is a very, very, very good accounting firm. I was, I was talking to my, my sister, who was she was also at Arthur Anderson. She left right, I think, a month before the Enron. So she actually went to Disney, got a big bump, and then a month later, her whole team got fired because of Enron. Um so when she was telling me that Arthur Anderson in this area only interviews, or I guess the big four only interview at USC and UCLA? No, that's not true at all. That's not true at all? That is not, at today, no, absolutely not. I know they're at CSUN, they're at UCSB. I, I'm pretty sure they're at Fullerton. I know they're at Cal State LA. No, absolutely not. Okay. They interview everywhere. Yeah, Pepperdine. Pepperdine, not so much. No, they interview everywhere. So anyway, so, so I went to work for Arthur Anderson. Um, I was at San Diego State, and um, I went to work in their Orange County office. Okay. Now, it's important to know that I knew from probably my second year at San Diego State, I was going to have my own business. Okay. This is uh, the entrepreneur. I'm, more of, I'm a businessman as well as an accountant. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to have my own business. Okay. So this was, you have to work, now it's one or two, then it was two years to get your CPA. So I worked two years for Arthur Anderson. Um, not my favorite two years, very frankly, because I knew that I was going to get out of there. Sure. 
Um, the, the, the one thing that I learned about All Out at Arthur Anderson was how to document my work. Okay. We were sent to St. Charles um, in Illinois uh, for two weeks of training. And you got a score from one to five. And I came back with a five. And I was the second person ever in that office to get a five. The other one was a guy from Columbia. Wow. So I was already the superstar right. walking in. But I didn't care because I knew I was leaving in two years. Right. So it was kind of a dichotomy. They expected a lot. Right. And my expectation was I'm going to do the work and get out of here. And what, what level you when you left? Um, an accountant. Account. So you weren't you weren't trying to get to a manager or oh no no two years you ain't gonna get to manager no I could have barely made it to senior mm -hmm. but but I was I was in charge of some jobs but it was um, not my career goal very frankly there were others who had their career goal it was very obvious so the Orange County office was small the reason I liked it there was um, compared to for example Price Waterhouse interviewed me up here and they did like the Academy Awards it was very glitzy. Um, one guy from Columbia, one guy from Harvard, one guy from Stanford. San Diego State, I knew I wouldn't fit in. Mm. Orange County was small, we fit in. I was interested in small businesses, hint, 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 because that was my ultimate goal. Right. So I was able to audit many small businesses. I remember doing taxes for a couple of the people there. Mm. Not that I was that good or really knew what I was doing that well, mm. but it was preparing me for the future. Mm. Now, let me just ask a sure. question here. Um, so you said that you had to have two years of work before getting your CPA. Yes, you have to have you have to work two years in accounting generally for a CPA to so, get the certificate. Okay, so so you first have to pass that test that even sort of puts no, you on the track. No, you can be working and pass the test. Okay, or you can work and then pass the test thirty years later. Okay, you just have to have the so two the, years. The two experience. things together though: the test and the two yes. years experience. Yes, okay. and and it's actually one year if you don't want to audit, and two okay. years if you want to audit. I tell everybody just do the two years. That opens up everything. And then what did you, um, what did it, what doors did the CPA open up for you? Oh my God. Well, so, so when I left the, there, I opened my business. Um, I had an apartment in Tarzana. Literally, my office was a desk in the corner. Mm. My first file cabinet was a milk carton, a milk crate. I mean, sorry, milk crate. It's the perfect size. It holds files. Right. It's like it can hold legal size and, and letter size. It's like made for a file cabinet. <laughs> so I, it was in my corner. My first client was my father. Okay. okay. And then I then we knew somebody else and somebody else. The, what what are the CPA was important because to have a CPA firm, you have to be a CPA. The name Arthur Anderson, though, that opened up the doors. I had asked a partner from um, Orange County to talk to somebody in Los Angeles he set me up with somebody else. That then became my first nonprofit client. It was actually um, um, the Attorney General, John Van de Kamp's wife, ran it, who to this day I, I'm friends with. And um, uh, that became my first nonprofit. They then told others, they then told others, and that was how I built my business. But the, the having the CPA from the first year was the key. If I was just some punk 22-year-old who like you know showed up at your door, they wouldn't have done it, but a punk 22-year-old who had the CPA experience from the large firm, that was what opened the doors. Is there still that entrepreneurial opportunity, you think, today, if you went, got your CPA, worked two years at a big four, and then opened up a shingle? Do you think that's still available, or is it too competitive now? I think it's available. I don't know what kind of fool I was to do it. Okay, mm. I, There was never any question in my mind it was going to work. Never. But looking back, it's like, why did I even think that? So I think you have to have the right kind of frame of mind. If you have a family and you need the, the paycheck, forget it. It ain't going to work. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you, even if you have a spouse that's not totally supportive, 
it ain't going to work. If you have a, a, a background and you can have a foot in the door and you have the drive and the want to do it, you probably can, but it's not going to be overnight. It took me many, many years to build it up and build up. I got my first office um, a year after I started because I got married. And I told my wife, I'll never work at home ever because I didn't just don't believe that I think you should have a separation. So it took me a year to get that office. It was about, I was thinking, about 425 square feet. It was tiny. Okay, and there were a couple of desks, but it worked for a couple of years, and then, then I got another office and started building staff and things like that. But the point is that unless you believe that you can succeed and you have the means to do it and the, and the support, very frankly, don't even think about it. So what trait do you think was most important in, in building that building that business? Are you great at selling, or what is it that, you're, that sets you apart, do you think? Doing what I'm asked to do on a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. Doing quality work and doing it on time. My clients, to the, to the day I, I sold the business, um, if you bring me your taxes on Tuesday, they're going to be done by Friday. If you bring me your financial, the stuff for financial savings, they're going to be done. Now, part of that is for the quality. Part of that is because timeliness is really important. But very frankly, when I first started in business, I needed the money. So I wanted right. to bill them. Right. So it wasn't that, that you know I was going to wait. It's like, give me the money. I, you know, I need to pay my bills. So it was uh, ingrained in me to bill right away. And how do you bill? You complete the work. How do you complete the work? You do it quickly and on time. Mm -hmm. so, so this was part of my personality. Secondly was um, I learned, again, through my experience at San Diego State, how to deal with people, how to talk to people, how to, I'm a very good listener, how to listen to them, how not to tell them what to do, but how to help them make the decisions. And that's very, so those would be the, the criteria that helped me build the business. And thirdly, I was told my whole life that I'm not the typical accountant. They say, you are so different than the rest because of that business sense and the way of dealing with people and, and understanding how they are. So there's a touch that's really important then. Uh, the human touch. In, in the, my type of business, yes. I dealt, my business was primarily charities, mm -hmm. nonprofits. About 70% were nonprofits. 30% were like doctors and individuals and stuff like that. And um, those nonprofits are a different breed. Okay? They don't necessarily understand what's going on, but they understand they have to pay their bills. You have to know how to talk to them. You have to know how to talk to a board of directors. I would, I made countless board of directors presentations. Mm -hmm. You know how to how to present stuff in an easy to read, easy to understand way that's relevant. Okay, and that's a that's a skill. That's not something that that's done to this day. When I hear most board of board of director presentations from accountants, I shudder. And if I'm sitting there, I have to explain it in English. Right. So it's just it's, it's just a way of communicating. So your 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 business, you you sort of outlined the the growth from your apartment to the first office to sort of the next office, acquiring staff. What, what's happening after that? You're okay. married now. Yeah. Um, so so part of part of the business building was how do I get clients? Okay, the first summer, man, did I have a nice tan? Because I go down to the pool all the time. I pay for it now, of course, but. I had a nice tan. So I sat there, how do I get clients? So I thought, well, maybe people come to the community college because they have a business. They have a business, they need an accountant. Here I am. Mm. So I applied to both Pierce and Valley. They both asked, but Valley happened to ask first. Mm. So I started teaching. Um, it was then Accounting One, which is the first half of accounting, 
one night a week, just one night a week. And I came here and started teaching, and I was 23 at the time, so most of the students were older and much older than me. Um, and I found out that that theory could not be more wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. People don't come to the, the community college for accounting because of uh, they want a degree. Now many do. Okay, right. but especially at night they don't. Right. At night they come mostly because, believe it or not, they're doing the work, and they have no idea what they're doing. Huh. Okay, they're typing or they're entering stuff. And they don't know why. A certain per, another percentage, a large percentage, was they wanted another job and they third heard that they can make money in accounting, and then a smaller percentage was to get a degree or or, or advance. But that was a small percent. Hmm. So I found out that um, coming that one night a week was kind of cool. Because you work all day, you come, as you guys know, when you speak in front of a class, if there's anything on your mind, tough. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be right in front of them. And, and, and so leaving was almost like therapy. Right. So I would do this, and, and I did it and, and kept on going and for many years. And was that your first sort of foray into, into teaching? Believe I mean, it or not, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and you felt that, hey, this... I like this. This this, this it, it resonates happened, with me. It happened to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was close enough to having taken it. Right. That it wasn't difficult. And I used many of the techniques from the teachers that I had had, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I still use today, by the way. I just have changed the names. But right. some of those techniques were very powerful then, and they haven't changed a lot until today. So how did you balance both careers? At what point did... At which, or I guess at right now, which one is your priority and okay. how did you come to that uh, decision? So, so um, the teaching was just a side gig. Okay, the teaching was just coming and doing it. Um, the way I describe it was um, my office was my car. Okay. <laughs> Drive here, um, I didn't even know where the campus was, what, what else, because I was in the bungalow, bungalow five, which would be destroyed very soon. Right. I was in the bungalow, go walk my car to the bungalow. Sometimes I go to Reaper Graphics, pick up the stuff, walk back. That was it. So we'll fast forward. Um, a number of years ago, they had um, an opportunity to teach a day class, an accounting two class, which is um, uh, managerial accounting. And they asked me to teach it. And I said, yeah, why not? I'll, I can take a couple afternoons off. It might be fun. So I found out, so I started coming here, and I found out that I was really relating to the students mm. and that it was working. So I did that for a couple of semesters, and then they had a full-time opening. And I thought, what the heck? I'll apply. What can they, what can they do? Say no. I've still got my job. Um, and this is instructive also about interviewing. So when I interviewed, the first interview was, um, it, it's in a group interview, and that went fine. Um, then you meet with the president. And the president said, you know, we've hired a lot of accountants here. And sometimes we have to let them go because they still have their other job and this. She said, how do I know that you're committed to this? And I told her, I said, look, it's like 105 outside. I'm wearing a suit and tie. If that doesn't say I'm committed, I don't know what that <laughs> In other words, always have something in the back of your mind at these interviews that you can you know, use when you expect it. Right, right. Um, so, so they hired me full time. I then was working um, full time here and had the accounting uh, firm. And I will share with you guys, never have two full-time jobs. Mm. It's ridiculously tiring right. at any age. So I sold the accounting firm, and now I'm just doing this full-time. So at that time, how many employees did you have? I never had more than two employees, ever. Because when you have more than two employees, then you start forming alliances. Okay, uh -huh. mm. it's two against one all the time. 
So I made sure I never had more than two employees. And so we were very efficient. So mm. um, what were the jobs of the employees? Was it a secretary or assistant? Or oh, no, they're bookkeeping. They're bookkeeping. Well, we, everybody did everything. I did the tax stuff mostly. As I could do their job, they could do part of, not model of my job, but part of my job. Yeah, there was mostly bookkeeping, stuff that we teach in Accounting 1. I tell my Accounting 1 students, they could work in an accounting firm when they're done. Okay? Um, these guys did all the stuff. In fact, one of them I hired from high school. A couple of them I hired from here. Um, it was it was very efficient. And um, I, had, I can't figure out I have a different philosophy. It's when you're done with your work, you go home. Yeah, we started by 9. And if you're done by 2, go home at 2. Done at 3, go home at 3. So that, that was encouraging to get the work done and get it done right. Right. So they, they were doing bookkeeping, not so much secret. We didn't have secretary. You type your own stuff. You, yeah, whoever's near the phone answers it. It was very um, egalitarian. Yeah. So when you were hiring people, what was it that you're looking for? I want somebody who's serious and somebody who I'll get along with. I don't care if they don't know anything. I'll teach them. Okay, but I want somebody who's teachable. Mm -hmm. And if they're serious and teachable. Now, did I make mistakes? Yeah, a couple. Not, nothing serious. There's one I had to let go within a week because I really recognized right away it was a mistake. But most of my employees stayed 10 years. Um, one was 20 years. Wow. And still is there with the, I mean, the, the very lo I'm very loyal to them. I would, again, profit sharing, health insurance, a time off whenever they wanted it. We didn't have such a thing as sick pay or vacation pay. You want to mm -hmm. take it? Take it. Right. Just make sure somebody knows what's going on. So I think that, but again, that's a different type of philosophy than the very structured, you know, you've got to work these hours. I yeah. just don't believe it. Right. So how do you go about selling a business like that? It was not easy. Um, I, I, was, I contacted a broker, a business broker, who sent me potential people. Uh, because it was mine, it was very difficult to make, I wanted to make sure that everybody um, was appropriate for the clients. And so I interviewed several people, mostly on the phone. They, um, one, like, some, one guy was from Michigan. He wanted something for his kids. That wasn't going to work out. One guy, I think, was in Monterey Park, and he wanted to move it there. That wasn't So I talked to a number of them. I did find this one guy who was in his mid-30s, I believe, um, was a tax guy and was interested in this. We talked. It seemed like it would work, it would work out. And after a little negotiation, he, he took it. So what are you actually selling? Is it just the client list? Yeah, it's a client list. Yeah, you, you're selling the, the clients, yes. So basically that guy then just has a one-time chance with them. Well, if he does a good job, it's a continuing um, relationship. He kept the two employees, which are still with him today, wow. which is yeah. really smart. By the way, again, speaking of employees, that was the only non-negotiable is that he keeps them and he pays the health insurance and profit share. That was not negotiable. Mm -hmm. Just taking so care long. of the people. Yeah, yeah that's, right. what, that's what you do in life. Right. So that was not negotiable and um, they're still with him today. They're not very happy, but they're still with him today, yeah. I'll be honest, and I um, hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> if it is, hi, Juan. Uh, the, um, the, the, but but um, then if the clients were happy with him, they continued, many are to this day, mm -hmm. and several are, have left as well. But that's, one, one of the things in an accounting firm and any service firm is you don't own your clients, you rent them. Mm. People think they're my client. Right. No, they could leave tomorrow. Right. You have to continue that high level of service or they're going to leave. 
the one that I told you about, the very first client, was my client till the end mm. as well. And most of them were there 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, less than that was unusual. And then there were new ones, you know, five, six, four years, whatever. Right. And once, once you get a certain reputation, and our reputation in the nonprofit world was very good, I can't tell how many board meetings I would go to. And some would say, oh, I've seen your signature, because it had to be on all the letters. And they would know who I was. Mm. That's the reputation. It wasn't just charities like you think. It would be like private foundations as well. So mm. it, it was the whole gamut. And people would come to me with technical questions because we just knew what we were doing. Right. What, what was that like for you in that transition then after selling it and now you're working full-time teaching you know, full, full range of classes? Was it smooth? Was it difficult? Did you love it? Did you have regrets? The, the first year was exhausting. Okay, because I had the two full-time jobs. Um, when I sold the business, it was in August, I believe. And my wife said for about three weeks, I was just kind of wandering around the house. Mm. My kids said, how are you going to do this? You've done this your whole life. Yeah. The honest answer is, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. Okay. When you have your own business, many people say, I want my own business. Well, there's certain pressure. There's a certain stress that you have on your own business. You don't even realize it. And once I got rid of it, it was like, oh my God, that stress is over. So it was, it was very good. Um, being able to teach has been extremely rewarding. I love dealing with the students. I love teaching them. I love when they succeed. Yeah. I get pissed off when they don't. Okay, it, it bothers me, students who don't do well, and I tell them so. Right. I want everybody, I don't want them to be at a low level, I want them all to be a high level. And even if they're the low level, it's like, come on, you can do better than that. Right. That's been my frustration teaching, is that I want everybody. I recognize life is imperfect. Yeah. I recognize that sometimes things aren't what we want, but I'm trying to, to do that. So um, to answer your question, um, my father about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I talked about doing full-time teaching. He said, no, you, you won't like it. And I, I, he was wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it tremendously. Mm -hmm. So what is the core advice that you try to give your students in terms of becoming successful? Number one, do what you want to do, not somebody else wants you to do. Enjoy what you're doing. If you're not enjoying yourself, not only in, in a career, but every, everything, you're only going to live once. Enjoy that living once. So you've got to do something that you enjoy, number one. And number two, don't be afraid to try something new. Many people think that they're targeted to do insurance or accounting or art or whatever or actuarial math. Don't be afraid to try something. And then, um, would you recommend being a CPA to new students right now? How does the field look? Um, if you've got a knack for accounting, if you like it, yeah, absolutely. Not everybody has a knack for accounting. Not everybody has a knack for math. Not everybody has a knack for history. But if you, if you like it, and what I do is I, I identify students who are doing well and then I bring them in and we talk about, do you want to be a CPA? Here's the steps you have to take to get there. It's a very good field. Accounting um, is one of the few fields that you can always get a job. Yeah. Always. Okay? There are a lot of fields you can't, but accounting you can always get a job. Will it be a really high-paying job? Maybe, maybe not. But over time, it will. And so I think it's a very good field. But some people are afraid of it. Some people are afraid of the numbers. Oh, I hate numbers. Accounting's numbers, but it's not math. A lot of people come into accounting, I'm really good at math. Accounting is not math. It's a way of thinking. 
And if you can figure out the way of thinking, then you're okay. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, yeah, it's a really good field. Um, it's certainly, you know, when I do seminars on careers and stuff, it's one of the, always one of the top fields. Yeah, I like, I like um, pushing my students towards CPA only because it doesn't cost you money. I mean, the test itself costs you money, but if they go and get an MBA, um, it doesn't necessarily pay for itself. In fact, a lot of times now an MBA doesn't pay for itself. So I like the certifications, uh, CFA, um, Certified Financial. Yeah, if you're if you're doing financial planning, that's good. Um, if you're doing, um, uh, if you want to succeed in accounting, CPA is important. Now you can get a master's in accounting, and then take the CPA as well. I'm not a big fan of that just because it takes another year. You just have just you know you have to have 150 units to take the CPA test. I'm not sure, I'm not sure take the CPA test or, um, or or qualify to be a CPA. You may be able to take the CPA test after your bachelor's. Mm-hmm. You need 150 units. Take it in anything. Take it in, in tennis or softball. It's just 150 units, but there have to be certain classes you take, certain business classes, accounting classes, mm-hmm. auditing. So what does the master's buy you, a master's in business or the master's in accounting? You're asking the wrong person because I don't think it buys anything. See, that's what I feel like, too. When students ask me, I, I don't think it buys you anything. It costs you another year of not only a year of school, a year of books, but a year of salary. Right. So it's, it's very expensive. Now, um, what I do suggest though, is if you're working for a large company, let's say Procter & Gamble, General Motors, Macy's, and if you're in management, then you get the MBA. Because in those type of companies, it's important mm-hmm. to have an MBA. I can't tell you why, because I think experience is a lot more important. But in those companies, an MBA is critical. So, so in those instances, absolutely but typically, those companies will pay for it, so there you go. Right. I usually tell my students, don't get an MBA unless you, have a, you know exactly what it buys you. Otherwise, just to be good at a large corporation and have them pay for you. Almost all of my friends have an MBA, and not one of them paid for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to get an MBA to get an MBA is just an excuse not to work. Some people don't want to get in the um, workforce, and so they'll stay in school another year because they're afraid. I think the other thing, too, is that when you get an MBA, usually you quit work. So the other people that you are working, that you are studying with, are unemployed. But if a corporation pays for your MBA, you're in a special program that's set up for you to continue working while you're getting your MBA, and all your contacts are all people who are currently employed. Absolutely, and right? that helps. And then who you meet is 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 far greater than if you quit school. Absolutely, absolutely. One one of my friends um, was working at a bank, got his MBA, I think, from Pepperdine while he was there. Another friend of mine, actually. Harvard, one of my best friends, Harvard doctor. Then he went and got his law degree. Then he went and got his MBA. He just liked degrees. Yeah. But this is all while he was working. Right. So, the, yeah, so absolutely. But I would suggest most students do not need an MBA unless the job requires it. Like if you want to be a community college teacher. Right. You generally need. No, I don't have an MBA. The CPA qualified me, um, so I didn't have to have the MBA. And is there, a, is there a PhD in accounting at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what does that entail? Uh, what's new research in accounting? Who the hell knows? I wish I could tell you. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, the the honest answer is there is research that can be done okay. in things, but and there are very few. And one of the problems with the universities is that there's so few PhDs, it's hard to hire somebody. So they're trying to get more PhDs. They're trying to look for diversity in PhDs and stuff like that. But if you can go out, an accounting major now working for um, most firms out of college will probably make between fifty and sixty thousand dollars a year. Why would you want to keep on going to school and give up that kind of money? And that's in today's dollars. Right. You know, three or four or five years from now, I don't know. So 
right away there's a disincentive. And then as you go further and further in the accounting field, you make more and more money. Why would you want to go get a PhD so you can come back to school? So it's a very big disincentive. Yeah. I mean, it's, what, five years? Just in terms of pay, you're looking at over a quarter million dollars. And then you're also five years behind everyone else because everyone else has five years more experience than you. Absolutely. Yeah. I I try to talk my students out of that also because they come over here and they they just think more school is, is always better. And I think when it comes to business, that's not necessarily true. Well, it can't hurt. But if you can do it concurrently, that's a better way. And if you get somebody else paying, who cares? All the stuff you're learning, Scott. Yeah, all sorts. <laughs> I'm taking notes over here. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think what you've you've shared with us here is has has so many valuable lessons from your own experience and sort of the path that, that brought you to where you're at now. Thank you. Uh, plus, you know, this insight sort of into this other world that people might not, you know, understand like myself and, and sort of and see where what it can do for students, what the opportunities are for them out there. Um, if people want more information, if students want to talk more about it, find out more about your classes anything along those lines, what's the best way for, for someone to get a hold of you? Oh, absolutely. I, I speak to students consistently and constantly. Um, best way is just email me, levine, L-E-V-I-N-E-H-J, at lavc.edu. Um, I'll be happy to talk to them about accounting or business. Sometimes it works for them. Sometimes it doesn't. Part, part of the discussion is learning about them, what makes them tick, yeah. why, why they're interested in this. Um, I'll share with you that some students just want to get into business or accounting for the money. Mm. Forget it. I had many doctor clients that were just, they're anesthesiologists. Anesthesiologists are just there for the money, typically. Mm. Okay? They may be doctors, but it's a, it's a money one. Right. If you want to get in for the money, you're probably in the wrong field, at least in accounting, because you have to have a certain mind for it. Right. Or you're essentially setting yourself up to fail, and that's not good. Uh, one of the other things in accounting is you have to hi- have a very high degree of ethics. Okay, mm. you have to be objective. You have to be independent, um, not easily manipulated. Many people are not objective, independent, or easily manipulated. That can be problematic as well. It j- again, it's such a, a personality-driven thing. And um, thirdly, and I think most importantly, is you really want to do it. As I suggested before, you have a knack for it. So to answer your question, I'd be happy to speak with any student that's interested in accounting or business or anything in that nature because this is what I love doing. Yeah, excellent. And then let me just add to that. Um, we've never met, but the reason why we want, I wanted to interview you so much is that when I walked into my business calculus class and I said, who do you guys want me to interview? Uniformly, everyone said, Professor Levine. <laughs> love I, talking to him. I pay him just to do that. love talking to him. <laughs> yeah, now my credit card bill is going up. <laughs> well, that's very kind. Thank you very much, John. Thank you so much for your time today, Howard. Really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. You've been listening to the Valley College Connection radio show and podcast with Professors Scott Weigand and John Kawai. If you would like to be a guest, recommend a topic, or find out more information, please email kvcm at lavc.edu. That's kvcm at lavc.edu. This has been a production of 95.1 KVCM Monarch Radio, The Voice of Valley College, and The Broadcasting Club. Thank you for listening.